Hello, listeners. It's Saruti. And Hannah from the Spotify original from podcast Sinister Societies. Every Tuesday, we explore the most outrageous groups in history, exposing the lives, lies, and crimes you probably never knew existed. We uncover so much. One could practically say we're honorary members of these groups. Right, Hannah? I don't think if that's the direction we should be going with, uh, to be honest, Saruti. Not groups we want to be a part of. Why don't we say... An Insider's Exposé brought to you by a couple of outsiders. Listeners, we're going to workshop this. We'll come back to you. But in the meantime, enjoy this exclusive clip from our episode on the Canoopy Philadelphia Congregation. This story really does have it all. Affairs, murder, and a so-called Bride of Christ. Give it a listen and afterwards follow Sinister Societies, free on Spotify to finish the whole episode. Enjoy. quiet Pentecostal sect, living a secretive life in rural northern Sweden. But in 2004, their lives were thrown into the international spotlight when two of the sect's congregants were shot inside their homes. What followed were revelations of soap opera-esque scandals, affairs, beatings, and a secret clique. We're talking about the religious community of Knutby, Philadelphia, whose leader at the time of the scandals was known by some as the Bride of Christ. Hello, everyone, one and all. Welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Sruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We will look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, today we are talking about the Canute Philadelphia Congregation and the 2004 murder that rocked its community. We'll get into how the killer believed it was God's wish for her to commit the murders and how the sex leader at this time, Osa Valdau, aka the Bride of Christ, led the group with an iron fist, which ultimately led to the sect breaking apart in 2016. And for the first time ever, we have a Sinister Societies, a podcast original, a Spotify original from podcast, first time ever, because this is the first time we have covered something on Sinister Societies that we've already done on Red Handed. Ah, ding, ding, ding. Dingity, ding, ding, ding. No, this is this is a few dingity dings, actually, this episode, because um, it's also one of the few times we talk about a female cult leader. Female cult leader, absolutely. And uh, when we did it on Red Handed a couple of years ago, we just found out we'd said her name wrong. Oh, good. That's definitely not how we said it. So just copy and paste. Copy, copy and paste. Copy and paste. Copy and paste me saying <laughs> all Savaldao into our episode. But no, this case is, um, it is one of the wilder ones out there. And as you are going to find out, dear listener, there are many, many layers to this story. So let's get into it. So before we get into the murders and various other scandals that took place and how Osa Valdau came to lead it. Sweden's an interesting one. 
quite a secular secular society, so you don't see many cults coming out of there, but this is one of them. The Pentecostal community of Canoopby, Philadelphia was founded in the village of Canoopby in 1921. Canoopby is about an hour and a half north of Stockholm and has a population of just 500 people, teeny tiny. That's just asking for trouble. And uh, let's do my favourite thing, uh, which is a quick refresher on the modern Pentecostal movement. It's founded in the early 1900s in Kansas, and today it's one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And the key thing about Pentecostals is that they believe that faith must be powerful, experiential, and not something found merely through ritual or thinking. They also believe that they are driven by the power of God moving within them. Crucially, they also take the Bible at its word. It is not an interpretation. It is absolutely the word of God. And they're called Pentecostals because the Feast of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples in a little flame, jumps into their mouths, and then they can either suddenly speak all of the languages of the world at once, or they're just gibbering, speaking in tongues, which is what the Pentecostals love to do. So that's why they're called that. <laughs> And you probably know, if you've watched any television at all, that charismatic leadership is also a common feature of the Pentecostal movement. Speaking in tongues, like I just said, and baptism through the Holy Spirit are a big part of their beliefs. And they also have a very key belief, because they believe in the Bible word for word, that Jesus Christ is going to return. One of Canoopy Philadelphia's distinct characteristics within the Pentecostal community was its continuous re-evaluation of previous theological positions where the members bring up subjects for discussion. Which, historically, Christianity takes incredibly well. I was going to say, so far, I'm like, that sounds like a good thing, that you're, like, re-evaluating theological positions that have been long held for many, many a generation. But um, obviously that also means that somebody's in there to fucking fuck shit up. Yeah, and fuck shit up she does. Mm-hmm. So basically, they would study the scripture in search for what the Bible says and formulate new theologies. This means that their doctrine in the Canopy Philadelphia community is dynamic and sometimes changes. And as a result, Mm -hmm. they are excluded from the rest of the Pentecostal church. Mm -hmm. And they have like an annual, they have like a yearbook of all of the... uh, all of the different parishes mm-hmm. uh, in all of the different dioceses, and Canoopy was left out. Excommunicated. Mm-hmm. So the Canoopy congregation didn't always meet traditional Pentecostal beliefs, as Hannah has just alluded to. They accepted moderate use of alcohol, and they also questioned the Trinity, meaning that they rejected the mainstream Christian doctrine. That's going to upset some people. Yeah, and it uh, it did. That's why they weren't in the yearbook or at the uh, annual picnic. uh, They definitely were not at the annual picnic. And let's get into why. And that why is in the shape of one woman. So let's get into Osa Valdau, who was leading the sect when all of these naughty scandals happened. Osa was born in 1965. Even though her parents were secular, her grandfather was an important leader in the early Swedish Pentecostal movement. She claimed that when she was 16... She had a salvation experience at a religious camp. Is that what you're going to call it, Osa? No red flags there. (laughs) Her beliefs fell in line with the Pentecostal movement, and those beliefs were an emphasis on the individual's personal experience and relationship to God, as well as a closeness to Jesus. She gets very close to Jesus, as we will find out. She was especially... This one time at religious (laughs) camp. (laughs) I got really close to Jesus. 
he moved within me. She was especially drawn to the emphasis of love and fellowship between followers. Oh, yeah. That is the seventh time you've done that today. I'm going I'm I'm to keep counting. doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. So Osa was baptized in 1983. And after that, she worked with different projects within Pentecostal congregations. She focused a lot on children and teenagers, as well as music. She soon started to teach and evangelize. In 1990, she found work as a children's pastor. Uh-oh. Mm-mm. Stuff stuff she should not have been doing, number one. And around this time, she divorced her husband. And according to accounts from Osa, the divorce prevented her from continuing her work as a pastor in their town. That's not the reason. Yeah, that's not the reason. Osa has said that another reason for leaving this role was because of a younger male co-worker who tried to tell her what to do because she was a woman. She was also sexing him. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not... Maybe he was telling her what to do in a specific place uh, that we like to call sexy town. And she didn't like it. She didn't like being told what to do. But others have said... that Me included. But others have said, including Hannah, that Osa was exiled from the community for forming intimate relationships with several members underage sons. Here we go. Here we go. It's always the men and the underage sexin. And here we go. Mm-hmm. Got a woman doing it. And the reason that uh, I ascribe myself to the school of thought was she definitely was sexing these teenage boys is because she goes on to do it later as well. So, after her stint as a child's pastor didn't work out so well and she was shunned, Osa went to Canoopy, Philadelphia, where she knew some of the congregation already, and eventually they asked Osa to stay and be their pastor. The request came about because the community believed that they had received a prophetic message that told them that they should open their doors to, quote, a female servant of the Lord who had experienced great crisis. Yeah, a crisis of her own making, though. Um, A crisis nonetheless. No, a crisis, yes, you're right. It is a crisis when you go around touching underage boys. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. And Osa also very conveniently thought that uh, God's will was for her to lead the Canutby congregation and all of its teenage boys. Prior to 1992, so pre-Osa, pre-Osa era, Canute B. Philadelphia was described as a fairly conventional Pentecostal congregation, but radical changes occurred after Osa became their head pastor. That's how it always goes, because what have we seen with these kind of things? When you let a woman in, it all goes to shit. That's what we've learned. That's not what I was going to say. I was going to say what we end up seeing is that people bring their um, sexual proclivities. Cult leaders bring their sexual proclivities into cults. And then they're like, All of society keeps telling me that this really fucked up thing I love doing is wrong. So now I'm going to make you all do it and then I'm going to normalize it within my own world. Yep. And it's very easy to do that in rural Sweden with only 499 other people. Bingo. Coming up. We'll get into the untraditional way of life in the Canoopy Philadelphia congregation and how Osa got the nickname the Bride of Christ. I'm guessing she gave it to herself. She absolutely did, which as we have discussed many times, if you give yourself a nickname, it's not a nickname, you're just a dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ready to hear the rest? You can finish this episode by following Sinister Societies free only on Spotify. You can also catch a new episode every single Tuesday.